Welcome to Red State Talk Radio. You're listening to Tori Says for the next hour. I'll be your host, Tori. We'll be discussing news, foreign and domestic, unfiltered news. Real news. Welcome, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. Today is April 15, 2019, April 15th, tax day. Welcome to the Tory Says Show. So remember, you can always follow me on Twitter and Gab at Tory underscore says or join the Red State Talk Radio Facebook group. We're always there talking, sharing content, and driving conversations. But as always, I'm here Monday through Friday. 12 to 2 Eastern Time. So today's Monday, and it seems really redundant, doesn't it? It sounds as if, well, looks as if the mainstream media has nothing to talk about. Obviously, they don't because they have no more sources. And what is brewing is huge. So Today we saw that there was an article put out about the arrest of uh, Gellenfeld, um, and I want to talk about that, and I'll give you a deep dive into it. I've actually finished formulating an article because I've been working on it this weekend um, after the uh, arrest was made public on Saturday. So Michael Gellenfeld... He is the American founder of an orphanage in Haiti. So we'll talk about that. I want us to talk about the Minnesota rally happening today. I also want to talk about uh, these uh, criminal indictments that have come through. And also talk about the Mall of America and that child that was chucked off the third floor of the mall. So there's tons to talk about, tons of news. And let's touch a little bit about... Assange. Uh, There is, okay, it's a Monday, guys. Usually on Monday, we hit the floor running and then it's like a lull, right? Based on that topic. Tomorrow, we have the president of Ecuador coming to Washington, D.C. No one's really talking about that. We've got President Trump going to rallies. No one's really talking about that. Because if you actually go to CNN's website, Uh, or their breaking news, the only thing you'll see is redundant statements like Ilhan Omar is a victim or how the special counsel Mueller's redacted report on the Russia investigation is expected and how they don't want it redacted. How, you know, Lori Laughlin was like, oh, it's okay what I did. Any parent would do it. No, they wouldn't. Uh, The fact that, you know, measles, let's push the measles outbreak because none of us had measles and they're super deadly because I had measles and survived. These are the rotating topics of discussion obviously, with the whole, let's keep pushing this Russia hoax. So these are the rotating topics, but what are they avoiding to talk about? They're not talking about Assange. You don't really see them taking a position. You see them 
upset that the president pointed out what a big issue it is of how Ilhan Omar, right, how she referred to the 9-11 attacks. So they're really butthurt over that, that he made the statement that all of us, all of us believe is just. You do not say people did some things. So the only thing they have is purporting this Russia collusion. I mean, over the weekend, we had a lot of journalists claiming that Assange is not a journalist. And these are people that write cat stories, right? Or work for mainstream media. So now they're looking to define what journalism is. But the main mainstream, CNN, NBC, CBS, ABC, haven't really taken an official position. And I want to discuss why that's the case. Because you see it all the time, even with journalists like Laura Loomer. They call her an activist and not a journalist. I mean, look at all these people over the weekend tweeting that video of Ilhan Omar talking about, oh, how she took a terrorist class. Those of you that follow the work of Laura and myself, you'll see that Laura and I reported that a long time ago when we were looking into her North Dakota State University records. We even pointed out who the professor was, and he was this clumsy, weird, leftist, pro-Israel, but not really teacher. So hence why she was mocking him, because he had actually uh, gone to Israel to learn about uh, U.S.-Israeli relations. So that was reported months ago. Now everyone's purporting it as something new. See, that is what a journalist does. They put out the information, and then people try to catch up. They try to catch up when the mainstream media decides they want to talk about it. And that's why you have to be careful who you follow and who you listen to. And I'm not telling you who to listen to. Listen to everyone, but take it with a grain of salt and look at patterns. Look at patterns and realize who is actually bringing the news and who's not sugarcoating the news either. So, Maybe I should start uh, with um, this arrest in the Dominican Republic. So when President Trump was meeting with delegations uh, from the Bahamas, Jamaica, Dominican Republic, St. Lucia, and um, Haiti, I said, it's going to be very interesting to see what they'll be discussing. Now, everyone assumed that on March 22nd, they were going to talk about oil. They were going to talk about Venezuela. They were going to talk about policies. But one thing you need to know, and this is my article actually demonstrates it, is that no U.S. president since Reagan has ever invited communications from nations of the Caribbean. And the, um, I think it was uh, the prime minister of gosh darn it I don't want to give you the wrong information uh who was it that said it he said that he was really excited because this is the first time that um they've been given kind of oh yeah it was the prime minister of St. Lucia this is what he exactly said this level of engagement with Jamaica um 
hasn't happened since President Reagan met with former Jamaican Prime Minister Edward Saga in the early 1980s. It's been a really long time since leaders of the Caribbean region have been invited to meet with the President of the United States, and that demonstrates what we believe to be the beginning of a much broader initiative by the USA and the Caribbean. This meeting was really about President Trump's vision to reinitiate dialogue with the Caribbean and why. So Trinidad and Tobago is a little island that has oil. You know, all they need is one drilling thing and then they're rich. Uh, The Caribbean relies on Venezuela for oil, stable, steady. Uh, They have their own petro-carry deal. I've actually linked it up in there so you can see. They have their own, like... um, agreement uh, for how the oil uh, prices are fixed and, you know, et cetera. So what President Trump wanted to do was discuss with them uh, the points about the Maduro regime and uh, Juan Guaido, but that wasn't what they mostly discussed because they even said that to the press. We were expecting to be uh, advised on sanctions with Venezuela because on the day of the meeting, uh, the Secretary of Treasury actually came out with new sanctions against Venezuela and they said that wasn't the case. So you have to wonder what they talked about. So when that meeting happened, I reached out to journalists that I know that work in mainstream media. And one of them got back to me that worked for NBC. And I only asked, why is it that on the day that the president meets with the Dominican Republic, Haiti, and all these people, why is it that the article about the former priest from New Jersey who pled guilty in 2004 for uh, criminal sexual contact with little boys, right, was brought up. I mean, that happened in 2004. That's over 10 years ago. Uh, He was sentenced to mere three-year probation. And in the state of New Jersey, he was just not allowed to touch or interact with children ever. So the guy left and went to the Dominican Republic. I mean, he was from the Dominican Republic and they run this article saying that he's working with children again. They even interview the guy. And you have to think and wonder on the day the president is meeting with delegations from these countries, specifically the Dominican Republic. Why would you out of the blue decide to report that this guy Uh, you know, is at a school teaching children when he's a convicted, uh, you know, child abuser, child sexual abuser, child sexual criminal contact is what they like to call it. So why would you do it on that day? I mean, you knew about the information from before. And here is what a reporter told me. Part of our AM briefings, we are told that we should be reporting on stuff, even though it's irrelevant. We don't pick those. We don't, sorry, we don't pick and choose. We are instructed to report things no matter how irrelevant they seem. Now, their report was published on March 22nd at 3 a.m. in the morning, three something in the morning. So this aligns with the whole drops thing. And you'll notice that all mainstream media channels were reporting on it. And it's like, why is this news now when he's been in the Dominican Republic for almost a decade working with kids? Why are not almost a decade, more than a decade, right? He's been there for 15 years. So why are you reporting it now? Totally random. No. This is how they signal. This is how they say things to the public, kind of like Brennan's tweets. You know, a lot of us that are into code cracking, crack the tweet. 
if you're into it, crack it and you'll see exactly what it says. I'm not going to put it out there. And I'm pretty sure that the FBI, President Trump's FBI and, you know, uh, his intelligence community are cracking the code. But if you see the code, it's clearly a statement of uh, continuance allegiance. So this is also signaling. This is telling people that this is what they're going to be discussing. They are going to be discussing child exportation, child exploitation, child and human trafficking in the Caribbean, which leads us back to Haiti. So let's start with this. So we've got uh, the report that came out today that uh, Michael, uh, I'm going to try to pronounce this correctly because everyone pronounces this differently. Uh, Michael Gallenfeld, I'll say Gallenfeld, um, was arrested in the Dominican Republic on Saturday. So the uh, national police spokesperson there actually announced that he was arrested, but they actually refused to um, cite charges or if they're being extradited. But here's where it gets interesting because see, people that investigate crimes against children know exactly where this is going. I mean, there's a lot of people going, oh, Clinton Foundation, oh, Heights, uh, Hearts for Haiti, and that's the Clinton Foundation. Yes, yes, yes. But do you know how corrupt people work? Because I've said it before, it's their methods. Now, Michael Gelnfeld hasn't lived in the U.S. for almost 10 years. Back in 2011, This guy named Paul Kendrick, a private citizen, kind of like you and me, right? He didn't have a radio show, but he was just a private citizen, received information that this guy, um, Gellenfield, was abusing children, like sexual abuse, trafficking, etc., and that he actually imposed himself sexually on children. So he tried to bring awareness by discussing it because these were bona fide claims by victims, Well, here is how the corrupt clowns work. See, they have unlimited sources to money. They have unlimited people uh, of power that, you know, share insurance policies behind them. So what did this guy do? Well, in 2013, he decided he's going to sue this private citizen. No joke. This guy literally sued the private citizen. So what he did was he sued him for defamation. So after this guy started shedding light about criminal sexual abuse of children, crimes against children um, to young boys that were in this charity. And just think this charity Hearts for Haiti was uh, the one that was fundraising and doing mission trips. Okay. For uh, St. Joseph's. And these are all registered in North Carolina and get, you guessed it, South Carolina. Now, there have been special agents of ICE that have confirmed a lot of the information that Mr. Kendrick said. But here's here's what happened. He files a defamation suit in federal court. Now, first of all, you can't do that. You can't go into a federal entity for your civil suit. First, you got to start at state level. You can't just do that. So when he took it to federal, guess what? He won. And he wanted this individual private citizen to pay him $14.5 million in damages that the guy doesn't really have. And so the corrupt clown, Gelnfield, won. So uh, Kendrick 
you know, a private citizen, imagine how much money it costs, because I can tell you being attacked with civil suits when you're a journalist, kind of like what James O'Keefe said, that's the only way you know that you're doing something right. Uh, It is very expensive. It is very expensive. You're really, really lucky if you find an attorney that'll do it on a contingency. You're really, really lucky if you even have the amount of cash required uh, to actually fight such bogus suits. So, this guy wins a defamation suit filed in federal court. Um, attorneys that are working for him because they believe in what he's doing. He's fighting for innocent people. He's fighting for innocent children. I mean, everyone should be behind people like that, period. They file in the federal court and it was found, right, by this higher court that indeed that case was filed in the wrong court. So fast forward to 2016, this clown who's not even living in the United States. So you have to wonder, how do you file a case? I mean, certain states have statutes that say, well, if you're not living in the United States or the state itself, you can't really file in that state, right? So that's questionable. He files it again against the guy in state court. And so ever since then, Kendrick has been trying to throw it out, dismiss it, you know, push it away, whatever. And constantly these judges are just siding with the other guy. Well, here's where we get to 2019, where the last motion to dismiss was not honored by the judge. And this is where we need to look at these judges, the federal judge that awarded it and all these districts, because that is what the Trump administration is doing. He's focusing on these small cases like Paul Kendrick is nobody. He's a nobody just like you and I. And yet, President Trump pays attention. You're going to see some judges in Maine. Heads are going to be rolling because they cannot justify as to how they would consider this defamation when there are witnesses, when there is substantial evidence to point to wrongdoing. So here is where he's vindicated. On the 21st of February, the judge denies the motion to dismiss right for you know immediately and says no we're going to trial so now they're waiting for a jury trial and it'll lay on the shoulders and the laps of the jury again like it did in federal court to decide if this was defamation or factual in the meantime this saturday the guy who is supposedly suing kendrick was arrested in the Dominican Republic. Now, let's talk about the Dominican Republic and Mr. Gallenfeld. I'm going to remind you guys of a woman named Laura Silsby. Do you guys remember that name? Do you know that name? Let me introduce you to that name. Laura Silsby was accused of child trafficking. She was caught at the border of Haiti and the Dominican Republic, right? Trying to smuggle 33 kids with no documentation. Believe it or not, she worked for Hillary and Bill Clinton, part of the foundation. They intervened and lessened her sentence. Guess who else was working with Laura Silsby? You guessed it. Yes, it was. Gallenfeld. And Hearts for Haiti? part of the Clinton Foundation. They donate, they donate to each other, they do missions together. So this is huge. Kendrick, uh, eight years later, is being vindicated for being the only one of the few voices within the United States speaking up about this child trafficking, 
which is not always for sexual abuse, but for nefarious, disgusting activities, but also organ trafficking. Children are the best way to source it. And it is said, it is said that there are actual farms, farms meaning they have um, children uh, that make children, that their children make children uh, for facilitating the quota. Now, how true is this? Uh, Time will only tell. The president spoke with them in private, so discussions are ensuing. But we can see that things are moving along swiftly. I mean, we did see that two days after the meeting, some members of CARICOM, which is kind of like a pact of 15 member states, all involved within the Caribbean area, uh, some members of that uh, um, committee, that, that group, that organization, uh, flew to Barbados to have a conference with Juan Guaido. So uh, discussions and relationships are ensuing. And from what we gathered Uh, You know, President Trump has pretty much put it out there. I want to trade with you guys. I want us to be friends. I want us to work together. And this is one way to work together. I don't think there's anyone on this planet that would say, no, I don't want to stop child trafficking. You're dumb. No, it's lucrative. You don't want to wear that badge, do you? Nobody does. So this is a story that should be discussed. Paul Kendrick should be put on a pedestal and awarded for being an advocate for these children when no one else would. And you know what? It's the story of David and Goliath. How many Davids are out there in the United States right now speaking up for injustices that are happening to everyone and getting fisted down by Goliath constantly, but they never fall. Well, a lot of them do. Some of them are wrongfully jailed. Some of them are buried in lawsuits. Uh, Most of them are just discredited beyond belief with, you know, campaigns. We see it all the time. I mean, we see it in D.C. You think it's not happening at your doorstep? This guy, Kendrick, was also put like that. They've totally discredited him, totally ruined his life, put out lies upon lies upon lies. And when that didn't work, uh, you know, between 2011 and 2013, they came down with a lawsuit. And even though he demonstrated that there was indeed criminal sexual abuse of children, some judge, well, I would guess some jury members on the federal side said, "Mm, that's not enough. Really? Pretty funny how that happened during the Obama era, and now things are changing. I want to know who that federal judge was that turned his eye to criminal sexual abuse to children. This is the stuff we need to be looking at. These are the names we need to be providing. Because the judges that deny the law to be blind, because Lady Justice is unfortunately not blind to money, not blind to power. Those judges should be held to the highest scrutiny. They should be removed from benches. We have no tolerance for that. Just like that dumb judge out in California saying, oh, they shouldn't be staying in Mexico. They should come to the U.S. But, you know, obviously he changed his mind and reversed his decision, you know, making a law up that doesn't exist after President Trump said, you know what? You want them so bad here, you can take them. So these judges should not be on a bench. This is what, this is how you clean up the swamp. You get rid of judges that are corrupt. 
You see a judge that sides with corrupt antics. You have a person presiding your court with something you can clearly see is a violation of civil rights, of privacy, of the law, and you side with the corrupt side. You're in trouble. You are in deep trouble because then you will be asked to justify. How did you come to that conclusion? Why would you allow this to happen? If this was any other way and it was some guy with a huge law firm behind it, it wouldn't have ever happened. Why would you do it to Paul? Why would you do it to Joe? Why would you do it to Mary, John Doe, Jane Doe, whoever you, me, why would you do that? Oh, um, so yeah, you're fired. And we're seeing a lot of that across the nation right now. Judges are being replaced on local, state, and federal levels. We're hiring more. And if you guys noticed, the FBI has been pushing out advertisements. They're hiring. So that means they've got a lot of open rank and file positions. And they want people, which tells you that this broom has been taken out and they are sweeping real quick. There are open positions for state's attorneys, and some of these state's attorneys don't even know they're out yet. All of this is part of the plan. All of this takes time. But this week, just like last week, last week, the mainstream media didn't even demonstrate how huge it was. The fact that Comey was subpoenaed to the United States... No one talked about that, how he got off the plane at LAX and then gave an interview talking about, well, I don't know about what spying, what he means by spying. I mean, it's not really spying. Okay, whatever. No one talked about that. No one talked about how he had just landed coming in from New Zealand. Why? Were you subpoenaed? The criminal referrals coming forward. I mean, I'm expecting something today, right? And today is tax day. The only thing that I saw so far on the justice.gov site is an announcement of uh, some person, part of the dirty dozen that they prosecuted that were told you're not allowed to file taxes, got caught helping people prepare taxes. Uh, So if you're like me and you're filing taxes last minute or late, make sure you go on the IRS website and you kind of take a look and see which are the pre-approved or the ones that are not on the dirty dozen list uh, to prepare your taxes. Um, on that note, we're going to be shifting gears and talking about the rally taxes and what we're seeing in the uh, next half of this first hour. Uh, until then, everyone say a prayer for uh, Paul Kendrick um, and kind of rejoice in the fact that this little guy is getting some vindication eight years later. Pretty awesome. See you all soon. Hello, my fellow patriots. My name is Michael Flynn Jr., and I am the proud son of General Flynn. Your support of the last two years has been incredible and will never be forgotten. If you'd like to continue supporting General Flynn, you can donate to our legal defense fund. Any donation is welcome. To donate, go to www.mikeflynndefensefund.org. Thank you, and God bless America. How did you become addicted? A friend? Were you at a party and someone said, hey, try this? Then you got the cold sweats and started shaking. And the more you did it, the more it didn't work. So you switched to the needle. Now you're a train wreck. Drinking, drugging, broke. Your family hates you. And you hate you. Get out of your hell on earth now. Call the Detox and Treatment Helpline today for immediate help. 
In many cases, your insurance may cover the costs. We can't guarantee it, but we can guarantee we have what you need to change your life for the better. Pick up your cell phone and call right now. 855-700-2978-855-700-2978-855-700-2978. That's 855-700-2978. Guaranteed life insurance with no medical exam. Sounds great, right? Even better, your rates will never increase and benefits will never decrease. If you're a U.S. citizen between 50 and 80, you can get life insurance guaranteed. It's not guaranteed in every state, and you may not qualify for every policy, but when you call, you'll speak with a licensed insurance company. They'll give you all the details about guaranteed life insurance. So call now, 1-800-707-1219, 1-800-707-1219. Hey, this is Leonora Cravota from Red State Talk Radio for MyPillow. I used to have trouble sleeping. My pillow changed all that. I now fall asleep within moments of my head touching my pillow. That's how comfortable my pillow is with its patented interlocking fill. My pillow stays cool and does not go flat. Plus, it's machine washable and dryable. My pillow has a 10-year warranty and a 60-day comfort guarantee. My pillow is also the official pillow of the National Sleep Foundation, and it's made right here in the USA. My pillow is now offering Red State Talk Radio listeners a four-pack special with two premium standard or queen pillows and two go-anywhere pillows. That's four pillows for the price of one. To take advantage of this special offer, call 1-800-961-9194 and ask for promo code REDSTATE. That's one 800 961-9194 promo code red state put sleepless nights behind you with my pillow the most comfortable pillow you will ever own for the best night's sleep in the whole wide world visit mypillow.com Welcome back, everyone, to the Tori Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. You know what? I actually wanted to shift a little bit differently, and we'll talk about the rest later. I wanted us to talk about Pelosi and some underlying uh, statements that she made during her 60 Minutes puff piece, which was really weird. I was surprised that uh, during the 60 Minutes interview that uh, no one actually uh, said anything about her not being able to put together a coherent sentence at all and how she stumbles all the time and how she's flippy floppy. But listen to what she had to say about President Trump, which was super alarming. How would you describe President Trump? How would I describe him? I think that he describes himself on a daily basis. I think that there's nobody in the country who knows better that he should not be president of the United States than Donald Trump. You think he knows it himself? I think he does, Yeah. What? This is a woman that said that our president knows he shouldn't be president. Have we seen uh, the changes within two years? I'd like to compare and contrast those quickly. I'd like to showcase to you guys in some simple compare and contrast, uh, you know, two years in. So uh, um, actually, in 2009, Obama's unemployment rate was 9.9. Under President Trump, our unemployment rate is 3.9. That's six points of a difference. Women, in regards to unemployment, under Obama was 8.7. Women under President Trump, 3.8. 
That's like five points down. Hispanics unemployment rate under Obama was 12.8. Listen to the staggering number. Hispanics right now, 4.4% under President Trump. African-Americans, remember, he was going to help African-Americans. You know, he's he's again a self-loather. We'll get to that later. Was 16.1 under Obama. And it's 6.6, almost 10 points below. And our GDP was negative, again, negative 2.5. And under President Trump, it was up three, it's upwards of 3%. So uh, that is incredible. How many jobs did we lose under Obama? 5.1 million jobs. How many jobs did we gain so far in under, you know, in just two years with President Trump? 2.6 million. He is undoing everything the previous administration had. So if that doesn't tell you, Pelosi, that he not only deserves to be president, but sets the tone for what a president should be doing, then you should not be the Speaker of the House. You should listen to what she says about her first hundred days for the people showed that America uh, change is possible. Now we need to make to work together to make it last. Listen to what she says. This is like delusional stuff. And she's tweeted these clips out. It's pretty incredible. Listen. about power of the speaker is to set the agenda. We didn't have a speaker who would bring a gun bill to the floor. We didn't have a speaker who would bring a dreamer's issue to the floor. We do now. And that's a very big difference. The power of the speaker is awesome. Awesome. Yeah, it's totally awesome because you're third in line. And this is why you were getting on a plane with your whole picked cabinet while President Trump and Vice President Pence were here. Uh, Oh, yeah. And we thwarted an attack during that time. Oh, and you wanted to go on a military plane that we would pay for where to go. What tour poppy fields in Afghanistan with family hop over to Europe, apparently to refuel, apparently, then go to Egypt and then Afghanistan. Pretty simple stuff that the Speaker of the House does. I thought the Speaker of the House was there to legislate, not tour facilities. That's basically their job. But speaking of what their job should be, their job should be to legislate as the people want. And as we see, it totally is starting to backfire. See, they've been asking for these dreamer things. And I want to talk about the dreamers for a second, right? They've been talking about this Dreamers Act. And I'm finding it really hard because on one hand, it's like, how do we treat it? Do we hold children or people that have become adults and not f- and failed to file for documentation? Because there's a lot of people that came to the United States illegally with no choice because their parents brought them that have gone through the motions uh, trying to get citizenship. But many of them have not. Instead, they have enjoyed the benefits of being undocumented. You see them turning up to Social Security Administration centers. You know, the one place you go to when you lose your job or you don't have money where you ask the government for assistance, either in the shape of, a, you know, in the form of uh, child care aid or food stamps. Because when I was in grad school and my husband lost his job, 
geez, that childcare thing really helped out. But you know what was astonishing is that most people pulling up there were undocumented, right? They all drove Escalades. They all had the latest phones. And you're kind of thinking, what happened? How is this possible? Because as an undocumented immigrant, you work under the table. You don't pay taxes. And sometimes you don't even work a nine to five job. And you get a lot of free stuff like food stamps. And you're in these programs as well where you get more benefits aside from food stamps and healthcare, you get supplemental income. Uh, you know, it's, it's pretty incredible. So here's what my thoughts are. Let's pretend, um, I go and rob a bank and then I take all that money and I put it in another, a bank account for my children. And then, I get arrested, right? Because I robbed this bank and I shouldn't have done it, right? I, I get arrested. And lo and behold, my kids, they turn 30 and they're entitled to this money. But that money was from the bank robbery. Are my kids entitled to that money? No, they're not because it was not gained in a legal way, right? I didn't work for it or it wasn't gifted to me. I didn't win the lottery. I took it from a bank and I was charged with, you know, robbing a bank. So we can't hold the children accountable and say, Ooh, you're in trouble for robbing the bank, but we don't let them enjoy the benefits of having this money, right? So their parents coming into the country illegally is illegal and they get deported in the same sense do we hold the children accountable for the actions of the parent? Do we deport them too? And that's a question we should think about. I think for the dreamers, suppose dreamers, right? For the freeloaders that decided they're not going to file for citizenship when they aged out because they could have, that should come into question. Why did you not apply for citizenship. As a child, as a minor, you couldn't. Your parents had to allow you. Your parents couldn't do it because they were illegal. I get it. But when you aged out and you're now 30 or 21 or 25, why didn't you apply? It's not like they're going to deport you because you came here as a child. It's not like you're five and you're like, no, mom, I don't want to walk 3,000 miles and cross a border and enter another. You have no say or 10, or 15, right? You don't have a say, your parents do. So when you aged out, why did you not apply for U.S. citizenship to be legal? Because there's no judge in this nation that would say, hey, you, you were eight when you came here. You should have told your parents, so we're holding you accountable. No, there's no judge. Hey, you were 16 when your parents brought you here, and you should have, no, a judge would never do that. So this falls into the lap of those dreamers to explain in front of a judge their reasoning as to why. What are they going to say? I was scared I was going to get deported. Why would we deport you? That doesn't make sense. Who told you that? Your parents? Well, since you listened to your parents and didn't ask or get some legal counsel that would tell you different, you're being deported now. Because that means you don't see yourself as a U.S. citizen. You see yourself as a migrant from XYZ country. 
and hence the flag that you're flying that is not American. These are the things. This is how we need to address dreamers. You know, unlike California that decides they're giving them free education. Speaking of California. So we have the judge say that the illegal immigrants can't wait in Mexico. They need to come to the United States and wait, right? So President Trump's response was like, okay, if you say so, let's get the buses ready. And we're going to send them to sanctuary cities and states where they have programs there for them to give them free money, housing, education, health care, because they're the ones that want them so they can have them. And suddenly it's like, how dare you use them as pawns? Oh my God, this is just terrible. How dare you? You're criminalizing. Wait a minute. Hold on. Is that an admission? Are you admitting that coyotes, murderers, rapists, drug traffickers are among these people that are coming across the border? These unaccompanied minors that are coming across the border? Are you admitting that? I'm sorry. Oh, we don't know who's going to be coming to the city, you know, so you can't just dump them off. But where are we supposed to dump them off? I don't know, but it's just not coming to my city. Oh, really? And if you guys remember, Cher was always talking about how horrible the president is, how horrid it is that he would say that illegal immigrants have no right and that we need a wall. And suddenly, when she realizes her city will have busloads, 40,000 at a time being dropped off, here's what she tweets. I understand helping struggling immigrants, but my city, Los Angeles, isn't taking care of its own. Wait a minute. Who else has been? We've been saying that, haven't we? Hmm. What about the 50,000 U.S. citizens who live on the streets? No, duh. That is exactly what we've been saying. Who live on the streets, people who live below poverty line and hungry. No, duh. Isn't this what everyone is saying? That we should have immigration and not invasion because we can't handle it financially? I think that's what we've been saying. She continues to say, if my state can't take care of its own, many are vets, how can it take care of more? No, duh. Captain Obvious. This is what everyone's been saying since 2016, 2015, 2014. Why are we letting them come in here unchecked, sucking off the teat of our federal taxes? Why are they coming unchecked and they're enjoying every single aspect of, the, of what our country has to offer? Free this, free that, free this, free that. And oh, look, we're doing this and tracking them. And look at what we're doing for you. Yeah. And illegal, you get, you know, car licenses, you get free health care, free college education, free money, free food. Here's a house. We look after you. And now when we say, okay, since you have these policies in place and we are no longer providing you federal aid, but you are advocating for all of them to be allowed to come in freely through our border, then you can have them. Suddenly the tune changes. Of course it does. And speaking of unaccompanied minors coming through borders, it's not just through borders. Do you know that in our country, there is a state department program that works with Catholic Relief Services and Lutheran Social Services called an unaccompanied asylum slash refugee minor program? Like, guys, this is real. I found it for my state in North Dakota. They literally get kids from other countries thousands of miles away. 
right? And bring them to the United States. They pluck them from their countries there, just kids, and bring them here. Now, for me, you might say, oh, well, maybe they're children that are distraught. Well, how do they pick them is number one. Number two is, why do they need so much money to bring them here? Number three is, they have like these gaps where the child can come into the country and declare their own age. Okay, so... So basically a kid to say, well, I don't have any like real ID, but I'm pretty sure I'm 12 when the dude's like 18 or I'm pretty sure I'm 15 when they're really 21. And so this is why like the city of Fargo who has and is part of this unaccompanied minor refugee program have increased the age of high school to 21. And this is how an unaccompanied minor, a minor, um, Muya Asma Muya raped two children that attend the high school under the age of 14 and it took him over eight months to actually press charges and he was allowed to be in high school with these little kids with these little kids he was allowed because he told them he was like 17 when he came or whatever when in actual fact if you take a look at him it's really weird because his pictures from Somalia where he's from indicate a guy that's way older I mean if you're posing in front of a Mercedes looking really grown up um you know at the age of I don't know what you claim to be 13 kind of doesn't make sense on the timeline unless you don't age the same and this is where you know, we need medical review to actually determine the age, et cetera, et cetera. But anyway, what I'm trying to point out is that these scams of bringing in children have grown exponentially, not just at the borders, but these import programs. And believe it or not, Minnesota isn't one of the cities that get these unaccompanied minors uh, refugees. They don't. They actually borrow them from other LSS facilities. So like if they're in this city, but there's like a host family from Liberia that can see them or they find a great foster family there, they might transfer them out or something like that. But what's crazy is, is that for the past three administrations, there has been an increase in facilitating and creating programs for migrants. And the thing is, we didn't need the migrants. See, the only time a nation or any civilization attracts migration is when there's growth, right? So what we saw is a spike in people coming to America throughout the Obama administration when I just showed you that we had a negative 2.5 GDP, which doesn't make sense. Have you guys ever played any of those simulation activities? Um, at games, I totally love them. So like, for example, there's one like, uh, uh it's called Zeus or something, uh, that I played uh, and I still do sometimes. It's like a good old time oldie, but in order to build your city, right? You had to create jobs and you had to beautify your city. You had to provide, um, education, religious things, healthcare jobs were created with each and every one of those. So if you built a hospital, there would be 20 jobs, but in order to fill those jobs, you also had to build a house so that people could live there. Now, sometimes your hut would be upgraded as people would come in for these jobs and it would tell you, great, your economy is booming. So it's attracting migrants. So people would just start coming into your city and you'd grow in a population. I mean, that's how it works. I mean, That's the basic foundations of how migration works. So think about it. 
During the Obama regime, because it wasn't an administration, it was a regime under Barack Hussein Obama, what did Hussein do? He brought tons and tons of illegal migrants, opened up crazy programs of importing migrants through other avenues, and yet didn't create the jobs, didn't create the houses or the temples or the educational institutions to be able to facilitate them, and in turn, didn't have the money to support them. Uh, And I urge a lot of people that are parents, I mean, I'm just saying what worked for me, is that I've had my kids play these games like Populous and, you know... um, different uh, strategy games on computers from a young age, even The Sims, right? Uh, Because it urges them to understand concepts like this. So they understand what's going on. Like if you would ask my 13-year-old, oh, we're bringing a lot of migrants. Her first question is, "Did you do you have enough houses or do you have enough jobs? Why would she say that? Because when she was eight, mommy taught her how to play this game to create a city and see if she can feed her citizens, if she can address their health care needs. And, you know, it's fun. It's stimulating. There's war involved too, you know, which is fun for kids, you know, to, you know, go against each other. I used to battle my own kids. Um, But it teaches them basic concepts. And this is the basic concept. A lot of Americans don't understand how things like this work. I mean, you could see it in every of your every single barista at Starbucks. They have no idea sometimes how the world actually works. The people you ask about, it's so racist to not have migrants or the wall is so racist. Okay, then tell me why. Why are we going to bring in these people if we have no houses? Why are we going to bring these people if we don't have enough jobs for them? Why are we bringing these people when we don't have money to feed them? Because it's the right thing to do. And that is how countries collapse. Because if they played any of these games, or if they were taught correctly in civics at school, they'd understand just because it's the right thing to do means that your city is going to collapse. It is completely going to collapse. Obviously, in the video game, no one's going to come to your city. Actually, people leave from your city if you fail in like disease control, education, entertainment, and everything. So the video game pretty much tells you if your city sucks, people are moving out. So our country sucked. Did we see people move out? No. We saw more people being brought in. Not only that, coupled with the fact that we had an increase in illegal immigrants, in legal immigrants, and all these crazy programs, we saw a decrease in jobs. So this was intended to collapse our nation. Are you guys getting it? That was the plan. The plan of the previous administrations was to collapse our country in order for us to voluntarily forfeit every right and subject to anything the government says because we can't fix it. How are you going to fix a nation that has 400 million people, but only 100 million jobs? How are you going to fix a nation where 300 million people who have no jobs are hungry and there's no money? There will be violence and riots. This is the easiest way the government takes the reins. And then we have, ergo, this thing called statism come in. It's like a new religion. I believe and bow down to the all-and-powerful government, which is only run by human beings just like you and I and every single person, including myself. When put through, whatever, I'm saying that I would never, ever, but you never know. For a price, everybody has a price, period. Now, 
if you, you know, whatever that price may be, you know, is in the eye of the beholder, but all of us do. We're humans. We always have that sin, right? We always have it. Think about it. This is what President Trump just threw a wrench in. This is what he is undoing. And you know what? At the Caribbean meeting, he made it clear to them, work with me and we'll fix this. But you know where countries are wary around the world? How is this guy going to fix something that has been around for almost a century? They're so well connected, so well funded. How is he going to do it? And they really want to go with him, but they're kind of like, I don't know, man, because if we flip on them and then he loses, we're doomed. What if they take him out? What if they kill him? That's what they're thinking. This is exactly. And this is what Obama did when he went to the EU. No, no, no. Don't let the UK just come out with this Brexit thing. Work with them. Give them an extension so President Trump can't hold it over their head. He'll keep negotiating. But in the meantime, let's see what we can do with Assange and not blame ourselves. We'll figure it out. Maybe we can do something crazy. You never know. Maybe they'll send a hologram or maybe they'll he'll get sick because, you know, he hasn't seen a doctor in so long and it's not our fault. We didn't know. You know, this is how they work. And every single nation on the planet knows just how nefarious and corrupt they are. They know just how well networked they are. So if you can't see Pelosi, I can't believe she said that. If nobody can see just how amazing this president is, if they're telling you, yeah, but I struggle, get rid of them. These people are not even worth your time because they don't see the bigger picture. The bigger picture was to collapse our nation, to forfeit our rights so they can take over. It was the last rollout. Hillary Clinton was supposed to see that home. They did it. I mean, the numbers speak for themselves. We lost 5.1 million jobs. But do you know how many migrants we got? In 2009 only, in 2009, because those were stats from 2000. In 2009, we had 10 point estimated 10.2. Two million migration. And that would include a rough estimate of one to three million illegal migrants, right? Illegal migrants, which means visa overstays, border exchange, right? New births and actual programs of bringing people in, work, student, etc. This is where you need to pay attention. So for every 10 million in, in 2009 that came in, roughly 10 million, we also lost 5 million jobs. How do you lose so many jobs in one year? How do you do that? It took us two years to gain half, a little bit more than half of those back. Pretty insane. That was the plan. To kneel this nation so that we can submit. And when he says, if you listen to his inauguration speech, that tells you everything. This is the America that was great. And it will continue to be great in 2020 with him walking into the presidency. Turn your tellies off. Turn your radios off. And just listen to your heart, I guess, or your gut. Now, after this break, we'll have Scott Adams and we'll talk more about the current events going on and I'll give you a little bit of a feel of this rally that's going on in Minnesota that's going to be live right after my show.
Welcome to Red State Talk Radio. You're listening to Tori Says for the next hour. I'll be your host, Tori. We'll be discussing news, foreign and domestic. Filtered news. Real news. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tory Sess Show. I'm your host, Tori. And in this hour is usually my uh, guest hour, usually my here's a little tidbit hour. I have uh, Scott Adams from the Scott Adams show. You can listen to him for like three hours in the morning on red state talk radio and uh, syndicated affiliate station, or you can go to www.scottadams.com and listen to his most recent um, radio shows uploaded commercial free. And so Scott Adams joins us. So we can discuss us. Uh, I was hoping we could start with the Mueller report. Um, did you see the news of that, Scott? And welcome. Thursday is a big day, right? Well, Thank you for having me. That's what they say. And I'm really always excited to have you here. Um, I thought maybe I could start it off by just playing a little clip from ABC talking about this. And I want us to kind of talk about what they're saying and what it means because yeah they're reporting that on on thursday is going to be released but take a listen to what they're saying at the powerhouse round table here let's put this on there we go you the white house liked what they heard from Barr in that exchange uh, right there but it also appears now he wouldn't comment on it that the White House has been briefed on this overall Mueller report. What do they know? How worried are they? Uh, George, they have been briefed, but I'm told it's in broad brushstrokes. Uh, Emmett Flood in the White House Counsel's Office has been briefed on the logistics, the timing of the release. They've been briefed enough to know that the White House will not invoke executive privilege to try to get further redactions. But, George, there is significant concern by the, on the president's team about what will be in this report and will be unredacted. The good news is already well, out there. Even stuff that will be unredacted. Yes, yes. Uh, the good news is already out there, broad conclusion, uh, no uh, finding of conspiracy between the campaign and the Russians on the hack or on the interfering in the elections. But there is significant concerns about what will be in here, new information on the obstruction of justice question, on what the president was doing uh, regarding some of the big questions. Was he trying to, f- how much, how far did he go down the line of trying to fire Mueller or talk about firing Mueller? The situation surrounding the Comey uh, firing. And what worries them most is what Don McGahn told the special counsel. It was former reported, White House counsel. Former White House counsel Don McGahn has visibility on all of this. It was reported earlier that he spent 30 hours before the special counsel. George, I'm told it's significantly more than 30 hours. And here's the astounding thing. After all of that time before the special counsel, nobody on the president's legal team debriefed McGahn about what he was asked by the special counsel or what he told the special counsel. So the bottom line is they really don't know. 
So what do you have to say on that? So that was John Carl. He's the White House correspondent from a- from ABC. What do you have to say on that? What do you what are you thinking? Because they're trying to push this now from Russia collusion to he wanted to fire Comey. He wanted to fire Mueller and McGahn's testimony. What do you gather from that, Scott? I think that was a lot of bias. Uh, I think that McCann, uh, just like Dowd, uh, knows that there was nothing there. So I'm not too worried about, you know, what's in the uh, report, uh, because already you know that the people like Andy Weissman, for example, who was putting this stuff together, would more than likely try to, you know, try to enhance some of the, you know, the real fake parts of the Steele dossier, which like the St. Petersburg, you know, peeing episode, the things that, you know, you, no one could possibly know or prove, just completely made up, probably conjured up from John Brennan's own imagination from things he's probably done. Uh, but in any case, what you have is you have a situation where um, they want to smear the president in in any way they can. And that's all going to be redacted. Uh, anything that doesn't have any kind of tangible support to back it up and is not relevant to the scope of the mission, which was Russian collusion, is going to be redacted. I think that there's going to be a lot more that's going to play out, that's going to spell big trouble for the Democrats. Uh, already, we've seen the uh, White House attorney uh, go down, but this was the White House attorney for Obama in uh, Gant, right? What was his name? McGann, yeah, uh, McGann. But uh, you know what I saw? Not McGann. Um, I'm talking about Obama's. Uh, oh, you mean pr- Craig person. from Scanton? Oh, Craig. yeah. Well, that's Craig. yeah. That's that's just the beginning. See, he was low hanging fruit. That, that wouldn't have happened to him, and that wouldn't have happened to uh, Obama's administration if it wasn't for the Mueller investigation. Well, that came out of a plea deal that some guy named Zvon Z W A A N from Scanton pled and paid like twenty thousand dollars for not registering. So that came from some other questioning, you know, that led from. Uh, Uh, Cohen and Manafort testimony. But uh, what I wanted to focus on, first of all, to like kind of take this uh, one by one so we can understand the concerns they're raising, right, is that this report will be released on Thursday. So why Thursday and not Friday? Because we usually know bombshells drop Friday. Uh, So that means there's going to be something else coming on Friday. So why Thursday? And for me, how I see it is we have the president of Ecuador uh, coming on Tuesday. And a word on the street today for me is that Julian Assange will be extradited to the United States Tuesday night. So he'll be here on Wednesday. This is what word on the street says. I don't know how, you know, solid this is because this is coming from sources that I've only used for like a couple of years now. Uh, Not one of my longstanding sources, but uh, you know, that could spell really big problems for them. And, you know, the fact that they mentioned that the white house was briefed and kind of in broad strokes and they weren't happy with what's still redacted and what was unredacted as if they don't know Whitaker already took a look at everything, didn't he? So, I mean, what is your, what, yeah. What is your idea on the date being Thursday? Are you talking about Tuesday of this week or next week? Uh, Wednesday, Tuesday night of this week. So tomorrow. Okay. 
That's what they're saying, that he will, I guess it'll be announced on Wednesday, you know, when he's actually here. That's what they're saying. So what do you think about the date being Thursday, that it's being released to them? Yeah, I think that's interesting. Um, Well, that would imply that it's favorable to the Democrats because they generally like to see these things released uh, on a, on a, if it does damage to the president, but you got to look at it from either way. Right. I mean, Friday's the day that you want to bury stuff. Thursday's the day you don't. And so it just depends on who's running the show here. And I would imagine that who's running the show is Trump. So he wants this good news to come out on a Thursday. Uh, And again, I agree with you that they're, Uh, It's to make room for what's happening on a Friday uh, that might be another drop. Um, But, you know, the uh, the uh, the the report also, I think, is going to uh, open up a a bunch of other new cans of worms, because don't forget about Flynn. Flynn got himself in not to rhyme, but Flynn got himself in based on knowing that his he was going to be in a perjury trap. But what he was able to do and why they feared Flynn so much in the beginning and why they wanted him to be out of the Security Council role is because he knew where all the dead bodies were. He knew where all the skeletons were buried. Or, you know, and so when you think about that, then you you got to say, well, all right, they wanted Flynn gone. Flynn got himself in. Flynn gave a whole bunch of testimony about where all the foreign foreign uh, donorships are coming from, you know, all that foreign money influence that's infecting our lobbyists who are infecting our policymakers. Uh, all of that is in play now, too, because Flynn gave testimony that they're going to also have to release. They can't redact one and release another. They're either going to redact everything or they're going to release as much as they can. And I think it's going to be Flynn's testimony that's going to be absolutely interesting and probably damning for the left. Well, what I see is, is that um, if it comes out on Thursday, I'm expecting the first indictment from those criminal referrals to fall on a Friday. And see what the president likes to do, not so much bury it on a Friday, but disallow them from having access to further information over the weekend. Because it's really difficult to get someone to respond to you from the State Department, from the DOJ, from the FBI or the CIA or anything on a weekend. Uh, especially when it comes down to an indictment. So that's why it's usually Friday drops uh, from the president. Uh, That's how I see it, not so much to bury, but to allow them to lose their mind. And I think the Thursday is the prelude to what's to come. Uh, Now, when they were discussing how, uh, you know, and Stephanopoulos kind of corrected him, he's like, yeah, he's a little bit, they're a little bit concerned with what's unredacted. He goes, and what's redacted. Yes, because he wants it open. I'm thinking that this date, Thursday, is the deadline for the United Kingdom, because I am really hoping that that is where they're like, if we don't get him, we're going to release the report and we're going to show the world the role you played uh, in trying uh, in, in, in concert for this coup of a sitting president. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think that could be a factor? What the the, the, the date that re- they're dropping it on the 18th? Because Assange should have already been here by now. Right. Well, that's all a process. Um, they're trying to work that out. But this uh, Assange delivery was on. It's on schedule. Whether it misses a few days or not, it's 
probably irrelevant. The fact is, is that they needed him after Mueller shut down. They got him after Mueller shut down. Moreno, uh, the president of Ecuador, would sell out anybody. You know, he's basically a sellout puppet leader. We control and own Ecuador <laughs> at this point. And when we want, when we want, uh, when we want Julian Assange, we get Julian Assange whenever we want him, and we got him. And that's what's happening with Julian Assange. And we know, and everybody knows, and nobody's allowed to talk about it. Think about it. There was two things that were blacklisted from the media. One was the name Stefan Halper, and the second was the name Seth Rich. Am I right or am I right? Correct. Were those two like practically taboo in the mainstream media? We are going to be hearing so much about the third rail of the deep state spy gate, the third rail, the one rail that no Democrat wants you to touch is Seth Rich and Stefan Halper. Because once you find out that Stefan Halper and Joseph Mifsud were paid assets by the Obama administration and that Seth Rich was murdered by the DNC and the, Hiller, the Clinton cartel, that it's going to be game over. It's going to annihilate every narrative that was ever come to play with regard to the Russian Spygate scandal. It's going to completely throw that out to lunch. And they did, they they could have gotten there last year. They could have gotten there a year and a half ago. This Seth Rich murder case could have been busted wide open a year and a half ago. Why wasn't it? And the reason why it wasn't be, is because they had way other fish to fry. And like I said, I've always said this, I always tell this story. If you want to keep people at bay with one bullet, you want to keep seven people at bay and you have one bullet in the chamber, you don't shoot the bullet. You keep the bullet in the chamber and you coerce, you have leverage. Nobody's going to want to take that bullet and everybody's going to cooperate and every, people are going to turn on each other. And we've already seen an unprecedented amount of justice dished out to the deep state and the liberals across America, whether it be Hollywood, whether it be Varsity Blues, whether it be Nexvium and the sex trafficking ring, whether it be all the types of drug trafficking and cartel payments just like you know, El Chapo was uh, his court case revealed that there was payments being made to leaders, like for example, uh, the former Mexican president. So we know this kind of game has been played, and we have a lot of leverage, and we have a lot of people that are pleading deals, right? They're making deals. We were just talking about another person who's getting arrested, and all these people are getting arrested that normally would never have been touched, and when they get arrested. They talk, and when they talk, they open up new cases, and a lot of this stuff is done covertly in a very clandestine kind of way because what's happening underneath the surface is greater than what you see in the media. Well, what I wanted to, I, I believe that maybe people at the Federalist are actually listening to my show because I made mention just a couple weeks ago, the, uh, you know, you know, last week when I was talking about Assange, that, um, you know, the portions of the United Kingdom's involvement may indeed be redacted and um, stay like that because of the deal that they cut. And so an article was just um, sent out by the Federalist, right? where they say that on January 4th, Grassley and um, 
uh, Lindsey Graham sent a letter. Uh, well, it was Grassley that sent it, basically asking them to. Uh, it's kind of like a criminal referral. We're asking that they were asking the FBI to investigate if Christopher Steele. Um, committed violation under 18 U.S. Code 101, uh, you know, and they believe that Steele made this regarding distribution of information, um, you know, included in the, in the Steele dossier. Now, what happened was, you know, with this dossier, uh, CNN had filed like a FOIA request and they were, you know, they kept coming back to them in regards to Christopher Steele's um, involvement with exemptions, right? We can't tell you this because exemption. So they responded to back in 2017, the FOIA from CNN that it was under investigation, right? right? But to this letter, they responded in a sense that the case is closed against Mr. Steele. Right, I saw that. Uh, so, by, yeah, uh, so I said that that was highly indicative that they have cut a deal with the United Kingdom because Steele, being an MI6 agent, uh, doing contract work for GCHQ and being an asset to U.S. Um, intelligence elements um, would implicate a lot of countries and a lot of persons, right? So how do they close the case against Christopher Steele with no penalty if he participates? Participated, which means well, there was a deal done. Is coming to play because that was the Senate that that pushed that to the DOJ. The DOJ then uh, squashed it, but it's going to be reopened. And you I mean think on Horowitz Christopher? Have- I, I think that was part of the deal, though. I think that was a way of verifying to the United Kingdom that we are not going to be prosecuting you. We are not going to hang you out to dry for the whole world to see. Let's work together. Because just a little bit after they got that response, who was subpoenaed to the grand jury, Scott? It was Manning. On January twenty right. second, so it all ties in because this has all been planned, and you know uh, people need to trust a little bit that things happen in sequence, um, purposely, and uh, this release of the uh, version of the Mueller report, which I believe that half of the people you know, in the house can't even read it or make sense of it. Like these people will probably pass it off to someone to give them the dumbed down version and, um, you know, take it out of context too. But I believe that that's maybe the portions that are redacted that the president didn't want redacted. Um, and so I'm thinking that the 18th is the time limit for the United Kingdom. Uh, that's, that's my belief that if we don't have Assange by then, we're going to be providing this to the house and to the public and everyone's going to see it. Uh, I mean, that's how I see it. And then on Friday, we should have the first um, criminal uh, indictment for conspiracy, criminal conspiracy. I think that's the first one that's going to come out um, for the indictment um, against uh, this criminal conspiracy, because from what Comey did with his falsified 302s, his false statements, that that's a really huge deal. That is a really huge deal. And the fact that, you know, this Mueller investigation or all this mitigation on Russia, 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 when they knew Russia didn't do it is even huge. It's, it's even more huge on that end. How do you start an investigation when you already knew an American citizen was the one that leaked that information to WikiLeaks? Right. You know, that's the big deal. You started this whole charade of Russia, Russia, Russia in March of 2016 
but you already knew and then you identified the person who did it by July and yet you had the FBI, the DOJ, the intelligence community all kind of rally behind you and manufacture information that would make it look like Russia did it. Well, and who who's the journalist that has a practically 100% accuracy rating that knows exactly what the relationship was to this whole thing connecting Seth Rich and connect and, and what the Russia and the British intel's roles were to play in this whole thing. And Who knows Assange, best? Assange. Who's the one person yeah. on this earth that knows more about all of that than Julian Assange? Exactly. And Dana Rockbacker from from, you know, the congressman from California who went and visited with him, had a hard drive with all that information. Remember when he came back Mm -hmm. and he tried to present it to the president. But General Kelly said no, because he should just go to the intelligence community and give it to them, because if he provides such evidence that shows that Russia didn't do any of the hacking, it could be considered, you know, obstruction of justice, because it's kind of like you don't investigate while they're investigating. President Trump saw it and touched it. Then they could say that this uh, lost its chain, chain of custody and that it could have been, you know, manipulated. Yeah, no, not so much. But they'll say, if we're already investigating, why are you investigating? It's kind of like with the Mandan murders. If the police is investigating, why did they hire a private investigator? That makes no sense. Like, if your family member is murdered, why would you hire a private investigator if the police are on it like today? That's the whole point. That could be construed as obstruction of justice. So him getting evidence that there's no point in the Mueller investigation, that it was never Russia, here's the truth, is like obstruction of justice. Oh, if that's the case, we'll find it out ourselves kind of thing. You see what I'm saying? So this is why General Kelly said, no, we are not getting involved. You cannot see the president about this. You cannot give him that information. Um But, you know, even Hannity went over there right before the president swore in and Assange told him the same thing. It was not Russia. It was not a state actor. He clearly said it on his interview. So we know that Assange is the key here and we had to wait. And hopefully Dana did provide that information to the intelligence community. You know what's going to be cool? What if the intelligence community or the Mueller investigation didn't include that evidence? Could you imagine if they didn't even include that evidence? Could you imagine if they actually had evidence that it was never Russia and they continued the investigation and excluded it from even asking Assange? We're going to learn three things. We're going to learn that, what you just said, uh, that they didn't consider uh, they didn't consider that evidence that would have would have completely dismissed. They already had a lot of information that dismissed the Russian hacking delusion, you know, collusion as complete fabrication and ridiculously false. But they also knew that they could have wrapped this up in 2017. They didn't because the insurance policy was the fact that they were going for impeachment. They were also going for obstruction because they didn't want the investigation to go against the Clintons and the DNC so quickly. They needed to get their footing. And the other part was that they also knew that they could wrap it up and they did conclude in August of 2008, 18, I mean. So they could have ended it in 2017. They were officially really ending it uh, in 2018, but then they had to carry it through the election. So a lot of political power elites were doing their darndest to try to 
ensure an outcome in the election that was desirable to them so that they could then go for impeachment. And that was to win back the House so that they could go for impeachment. And sure enough, all those things are sort of working a little bit, but they're not. They're not working. They're failing. And now we're going to find this out. And I think Mueller is going to have egg on his face when it comes to find out that there was really nothing new that they acquired in the last year. Well, no, what I want to make my point, though, before we go to the break, is that everybody and their mother in August of 2017, right? And Mueller was already in place then because it was widely reported that uh, Representative Dana had gone to Julian Assange at the embassy and received proof that Russia was not behind the hacking, right? That there was no collusion with these WikiLeaks emails. The question is... Since it was widely reported, and it was also widely reported that the president did not receive it and that General Kelly had refused, did Mueller contact Representative Dana? Because if he didn't, that is obstruction of justice. That is public information that tells you this is key to your investigation. This is from a congressman. Did you ask him? And if you didn't, you better tell us why not. Russian officials. Just before Helsinki, that was political. Exactly, was but com- the thing is, you already knew, but you already knew that there was someone with evidence showing that Russia had nothing to do with it. Did you contact them once? Did you reach out? Did you get the hard drive that he had that he refused to disclose what information was on it? Did you ask? Because if you didn't ask and you knew about it because it was publicly and widely reported then that's obstruction of justice. That means Mueller was never there to actually see if there was any hacking of the DNC emails from Russia. That is a huge tell. And if you did and you had this evidence, why did you continue the investigations on the WikiLeaks side? And why did you pursue Roger Stone? That's the key. Why did you pursue Roger Stone? Um, I'm sorry, but we're coming up to a break. Everyone, I have Scott Adams with me. We'll see you shortly in just a few. And we'll continue the discussion of this Mueller report. See you all in a bit. Hello, my fellow patriots. My name is Michael Flynn Jr., and I am the proud son of General Flynn. Your support of the last two years has been incredible and will never be forgotten. If you'd like to continue supporting General Flynn, you can donate to our legal defense fund. Any donation is welcome. To donate, go to www.mikeflynndefensefund.org. Thank you, and God bless America. How did you become addicted? A friend? Were you at a party and someone said, hey, try this? Then you got the cold sweats and started shaking. And the more you did it, the more it didn't work. So you switched to the needle. Now you're a train wreck. Drinking, drugging, broke. Your family hates you. And you hate you. Get out of your hell on earth now. Call the Detox and Treatment Helpline today for immediate help. In many cases, your insurance may cover the costs. We can't guarantee it, but we can guarantee we have what you need to change your life for the better. Pick up your cell phone and call right now. 855-700-2978. 855-700-2978. 
855-700-2978. That's 855-700-2978. Guaranteed life insurance with no medical exam. Sounds great, right? Even better, your rates will never increase and benefits will never decrease. If you're a U.S. citizen between 50 and 80, you can get life insurance guaranteed. It's not guaranteed in every state, and you may not qualify for every policy, but when you call, you'll speak with a licensed insurance company. They'll give you all the details about guaranteed life insurance. So call now, 1-800-707-1219, 1-800-707-1219. Hey, this is Leonora Cravota from Red State Talk Radio for MyPillow. I used to have trouble sleeping. My pillow changed all that. I now fall asleep within moments of my head touching my pillow. That's how comfortable my pillow is with its patented interlocking fill. My pillow stays cool and does not go flat. Plus, it's machine washable and dryable. MyPillow has a 10-year warranty and a 60-day comfort guarantee. MyPillow is also the official pillow of the National Sleep Foundation, and it's made right here in the USA. MyPillow is now offering Red State Talk Radio listeners a four-pack special with two premium standard or queen pillows and two go-anywhere pillows. That's four pillows for the price of one. To take advantage of this special offer, call 1-800-961-9194 and ask for promo code REDSTATE. That's one 800 961-9194 promo code red state put sleepless nights behind you with my pillow the most comfortable pillow you will ever own for the best night's sleep in the whole wide world visit mypillow.com Welcome back to the Tory Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. And with me, I have Scott Adams from the Scott Adams Show. That's www.scottadamshow.com. And I thought that, uh, well, I actually just got some breaking information uh, that I'll be working on. But I got something that I've been working on for over, I would say, two years even. But what if I told you that this spying on Donald J. Trump began right around Thanksgiving of 2012, what would you say? You'd be like, what? But I just got some information uh, that may indeed indicate the surveillance of the Trump campaign and this targeted uh, information that they've been gathering uh, started way back in late 2012 uh, because they knew that President Donald J. Trump was going to be running for president in 2016. And well, go on. You know what? Don't one second they didn't have the apparatus in to beat Mitt Romney. How do you think they beat Mitt Romney? Everybody in my circles and me included was completely shell-shocked the, the, the day of the election on Mitt, against Mitt Romney. There's no way Barack Hussein Obama was going to win re-election if he didn't cheat. And now we know he's a cheat. Well, yeah, but I'm telling you, this spying, you know how they're, how Comey was subpoenaed back to the United States and just hours after landing, according to my sources, he landed just after 11 a.m. on the 12th, right? In LAX, he gave an interview that afternoon in Los Angeles saying, well, I don't know, like spying? Like, what do you mean spying? What is spying? It's not spying. You know what? Going through the FISA court and getting it? No, Comey. We're talking about the initiated surveillance of 
of the Trump campaign in 2012. That's what we're talking about. That was before your time. And guess who was, wait, guess who was FBI director at the time that they started to surveil Donald Trump? Yes. So this is where it's getting to. Like, this is so huge. What I just got in my inbox is insane. So I'm trying to piece it together. I'll be working on this for the next week, but this is huge. Um, You know, just so you guys know, I have an article going um, talking about what I talked about in the first hour, which is uh, Michael Gelnfeld, who who was arrested at the Dominican Republic, who's linked to the Clinton Foundation and child abuse, child trafficking, child criminal crimes against children. I have that. And then I also have the other one where it's asking questions. Did Mueller interview that congressman from California who had evidence that Russia did not hack the DNC. That is a question that should be on everyone's mouth, tip of the tongue and lips because it was widely reported. But now this, can you believe it, Scott? Like it literally just came in during the break. That's why I had turned off my microphone and couldn't get it on (laughs) fast enough because I was shrieking, like literally (laughs) shrieking. Ah, it's finally here because... I've heard you shriek before. It's yeah. it's pretty wild. Yeah, no, it was really crazy because I, I was thinking, oh my gosh, I was right. Because they had started to surveil, guess what? His pack. They started with that when he created a pack. And so um, someone, talk about um, serendipity, talk about the, uh, what do they call it? The When we're all on the same page, come on, it's at the tip of my tongue, Scott. Uh, uh, Say it again. When we're all like coming together, the what, the, the, um, gosh darn it, it's at the tip of my tongue. Regardless, someone DM'd me an article from Snopes over the break. Uh, you know, it just popped up on my notifications and I clicked on it before I got into my secret email. And I clicked on that and I was like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, okay, I knew about that and closed it. And then I opened my email and it was like, here it is. And I was like, oh my God. And remember the Collier thing? That's when it started, by the way. So I'm super, super excited. I can't wait to report on it because I've been working on this for a very long time to determine when they started uh, spying on a then Donald J. Trump, the Trump organization, and how they're using information from that surveillance at the Southern District of New York, who, by the way, on that team of attorneys that is supposedly probing the Trump organization, President Trump and his children, is no one else other than Comey's daughter, right? Remember that? She's working. And And his daughter is is the auditor for the Clinton Foundation. Tell me the Comey's in tight with Hillary and company. Well, man, I'm just saying, you know, how do you even have a special counsel that began the spying operation on then citizen Donald J. Trump? Is that not one of the biggest criminal conspiracies you've ever heard? Like he was the FBI director at the time. And he began surveilling President Trump as the FBI director. Like this is breaking stuff. And maybe this is why Obama extended his 10-year tenure, right? Because he Mm -hmm. extended it by, what, two and a half years until he passed the torch to Comey, who he had worked with in the past when they worked together to take down the White House admins, you know, back in the day of Bush, you know, 43. So 
It's pretty incredible. I mean, think about that, Scott. Like they started surveilling President Trump in 2012. Well, that's because Obama really didn't do anything in his last term except for commit fraud. Like the Iran nuclear deal was a big, huge money grabbing fest. I mean, everybody got their palms greased on that one, including McCain, including Graham, including every swamp creature in Washington. They got a piece of that action. That's how it happened. That's how it is that Obama Foundation received six $25 million payments anonymously. Nobody wanted to claim credit for it. I wonder why. You know, and a lot of that Avenani money, where did that come from? It was all laundered money through crowd justice, crowdsourcing income. And a lot of that probably came from the Iran deal. Liquid cash roaming around in offshore accounts, easily accessed to pay to play. Yeah, well, you know, I'm just saying, like, this is breaking, okay? This is, like, super huge, and it's something that the uh, president has been talking about. Now, earlier uh, in my show, my bestie uh, that lives in France uh, DM'd me to tell me that, you know, her city is engulfed in smoke because uh, Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris is actually on fire, and... um, uh, you know, I was just texted by a very good friend of mine saying, uh, you know, this is a huge thing. And Donald J. Trump, our president, just tweeted about it, too. His tweet reads, hold on, let me um, read it out to everyone. He says, uh, where is it? It was just there. It was saying it was horrible. To, yeah, there it is. So horrible to watch the massive fire at Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris. Perhaps flying water tankers could be used to put it out, must act quickly. Uh, so what does that tweet tell you, giving that advice to Paris? Because it's been on fire for a few hours now. Yeah, that's amazing. That, that that's tells you what? Why are they not putting it out? Well, because... Why aren't the they putting it out? This is This is a historical, you know, cathedral. Right. Why are they not putting it out? Our president's tweet says it all. Why not use water flyers? And I've seen it before in Europe. Whenever there's like uh, tons of forest fires in Italy and Greece, what do they use? Uh, Water flyers where they collect water from, you know, the ocean nearby and then just or rivers and they just throw it on there. This 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 thing is I'm looking at pictures of this. It is completely up in flames. Yeah, but why? What is up with the Notre Dame uh, Cathedral? What is it? Why would they allow it to burn? Christian icon. Mm, yeah, if it was a terrorist attack. But the thing is, why would the French government, why would Macron not what fix it? I think this is not a terrorist attack. Pardon? What makes you think this is not a terrorist attack? Uh, I don't know. It could be. It doesn't mean it is. It's exactly what the Taliban did when they blew down that whole wall that they did 10, 15 years ago. Yeah, but you have to understand the cathedral is a landmark, okay? And it's it's home. Pardon? It's part of the French culture and identity. When you, you know, it's exactly what the liberals and Antifa are trying to do in our country: tear down monuments, tear down history, tear down everything that represents who we are, even for good or for bad. And it's I just I just see this as being 
you know, an anti-Christian, anti- Have you ever, um, you've been to Paris. Have you been to the cathedral? Okay, so have I. What well, did you, do you know? What I find the most interesting there, and this is this is what concerns me. Okay, so there's a fire at the cathedral. What is the priority of a historical, worldwide known historical landmark piece of your country? Why is the fire still burning, regardless if it's a terrorist attack, right. which it could be? Why haven't you put it out? Do you know what the most intriguing part of that? I'll tell you, like a little hiatus. You know, that back in the 13th century, there was a blacksmith, right? His name was Biscomé, right? And he was known throughout all of France as being one of the most talented blacksmiths. And the devil, the devil, they say, in exchange for, um, offered him a deal. In exchange for his help, the blacksmith gave him his soul. And you know that there is something called the devil's door, that is the most intricately created door um, of it. And then it says that, you know, most of the paintings were finally done in there. And, uh, you know, it was just like that was the most intriguing part when I went there was to see the devil's door. You know that story, right? Where the guy literally mm-hmm. traded a soul to the devil to make the door. And I'm just saying that is how far in lore, history it is in France and they haven't put it out. And here you have the president of the United States that is en route, if not landed already in Minnesota, tweeting, why don't you just use airplanes to just dump tons of water and put it out? What are you doing? Right. It's because you really, you know, they don't really don't want to put it out. It, right. It reminds why? me of that Austin Powers scene where he sends this guy to the dungeon, you know, and. Uh, he leaves and just assumes everything's going to be taken to task. And his son, Seth Green's character, his son was like, dude, why don't you just shoot him right now? It's like, why do you want to leave this to chance? You know, and it's like, because that's the way we do it. It's drama, you know. And so basically, Trump is basically like, just put it out. It's easy. Just put it out with planes. This is too important of an iconic building. 850 years of history. Put it out. And they won't. I mean, this is not your you know, corner bodega. This is Notre Dame. You know, this is the, the, one of the great buildings of all time. But this is like the, yeah, but this is like having the, the, this is like having, um, the, the, the Washington, you know, like, I don't know, the Lincoln Memorial, like on fire and people throwing buckets rather than, than putting it out. That's my point. What would be the reasoning for not wanting to put it out? No, I know, and I'm looking at this. It's just, it's just unbelievable. Yeah, but it's been three hours. That's what I'm saying. Question that. Like, think about it. If the if the Statue of Liberty was on fire and it's been on fire for three hours, and it's like, why isn't anyone putting it out? Why are they using little trucks and buckets? Why isn't it out yet? It it's got so much. They're tweeting out that uh, you know this has a lot to do with Macron. You know, his inability to negotiate the table, causing so much divisiveness. And uh, and then, of course, you got the Muslim influence uh, that's basically running today. They have no go zones where you're not even allowed to walk in a Muslim neighborhood without fear of death. Um, 
Yeah, wow, but this is a- but again, I'm saying the extent of the fire, why aren't they putting it out? Why is Macron not putting it out? Why is he allowing a historical monument to burn? What are they trying to rid of? History? I mean, this would be a really bad way to do it. And when you have... Liberals in our country want to tear down the monuments right, without Right, but this process. isn't the same thing. Our monuments are like 100 years old. This is hundreds and hundreds and hundreds years old. And this is like, you know, something that attracts tourists globally. This is a part of, you know, old French history. This is like 13th century stuff. Like, why would you not put it out? And how embarrassing is it that you have the sitting president california don't make sense this doesn't make sense right that's what i'm saying yeah i know i agree with you and the fact that the president is telling him hey why don't you use airplane flyers like what are you doing why is it still on you know that is an embarrassment and that's telling from a frenchman he says i know it but it looks like the world is running out Every day, a sinister tragedy. You know, the socialists are desperate. They're losing. They're losing their grip on power. And as they're losing their grip on power, they want to basically torch the earth. They want to basically, that's the absolute devil hatred coming out of them. As they're gripping, losing their grip from power, imagine somebody clinging to life, hanging by the edge of a rooftop, and they know their days are numbered. They're just going to try to, you know, they're not going to go out with remorse. They're going to go out in rage. And that's unfortunate. But that's exactly what happened after the 2016 election is, you know, they were screaming in the streets and we thought, you know, this will pass. They'll, 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 they'll um, assimilate. They'll, they'll, they'll get over it, right? They'll get over this temporary Trump derangement syndrome. No, this resistance movement, this Trump derangement syndrome, this Antifa, all of these lies and this craziness has only gotten worse over time. That's what I think has shocked me the most, is that their lack of remorse, their lack of ability to call it a, a day and, and admit defeat, and their just relentless, uh, absolute attacks that are completely fabricated and false, and the mainstream media that's been complicit in perpetuating the lies and all of this deception. And... It's, it leads to this. It leads to fire and destruction. This is war. This is we're in a world war and we don't even know it. I mean, we're in a civil war in the United States, but this is really a war of ideology between the globalists and the nationalists, and it's a war that we have to win. If we don't, we lose our freedom, our liberty, and our justice. Well, you know, I'm I'm just I'm really stuck on this because it's a. Scott, it's not every day that a president of another country is like, yo, what are you doing? Put the fire out. And do you know um, what lies like under the cathedral or what it's known to be? You know, it's got, you know, it was built like we know between the 12th and 14th century. Right. And it was constantly built. It has a lot of irreplaceable. Right. You can't even place a value on things that are in there. They've spent a ton of money refurbishing it in the past, you know, 10 years. You know that underneath the cathedral um, lies a pagan city, right? It's called the Ile de la Cite. You know, you know that, right? Where Notre Dame of, you know, the cathedral actually sits right now. It was right. actually the Roman city. Uh, I think it was uh, Letitia. 
it was the name of it. And it, it was actually built over that pagan temple. And it was always, and, and when they built the cathedral, uh, they put gargoyles to give a sense of evil being there, nefarious, then the devil's door and all this stuff. So it makes you wonder with so much deep seated history and so many things that circle around this cathedral, so ma- many things that you can't even put a price tag on because they're so precious, historical, etc. They're literally on fire. And for the first time in my lifetime or ever recorded, have I ever seen a president or a leader of another nation suggest, hey, maybe you want to put that fire out. Mm. which leads to believe that something else is going on. Maybe it started as a terrorist attack, to, you know, arson by, you know, what's going on, whatever. It could have been an attack from the people, whatever. Regardless, this is one of the longest standing Gothic type monuments, which is well known for its really creepy gargoyles. And the fact that it was built right on top of a temple of, um, uh, you know, of a pagan city. So, you know, it's, it's pretty, pretty, pretty incredible, you know, the Kings that went through it, what it's seen, you know, how the towers that it has were never like, you know, twinning, you know what I mean? They weren't the same. It's kind of like the leaning tower of Pisa only here. They're just not identical when they should. Um, You know, the fact that wars were won because they took down their bells and melted. Like, this is a big deal. I'm I'm like really freaking out about this. I mean, I don't see how no one can see that something uh, smells. I just heard about this about a half hour ago. And I just thought, oh, some fire over in South Bend. (laughs) I I didn't pay close attention to it. And now... I feel pretty stupid, but, um, I did, is- but I was still digging on it because I was like, you know, a lot of, um, you know, a lot of people, you know, were messaging me, we need to talk about it. And I was like, okay, well I'm going to go on an, on a limb here not just like arson, but it's been on for three hours. And the fact that the president tweeted out, Hey, maybe you want to use this so you can put it out is a big deal. It means that they're not trying to put it out. That's what the president is pointing to. This is why he's no, telling no, no. us I, this. You, he's totally on that. And he's totally right. No, there's no doubt about it. You know, again, it's what, it's what people do for power and symbolism to make their points, they they will stop at nothing. It's exactly what the radical Islamic terrorists did when they flew planes into the World Trade Center. And, uh, you know, again, it's just insane. It's It's sheer, total, utter insanity, what goes on in the heads of liberal minds. And this is another situation where France is on fire, uh, virtually and and now literally um, over the last, you know, 22 weeks, we've had the yellow vests. We have all this conflict. And again, what it, what it stems from is a government that doesn't respect or give a crap about their people. They just gas tax. Fine. Uh, Let's change the laws to underage uh, sex trafficking and sex with minors. Fine, because, you know, we otherwise we'll be found guilty of these crimes. Hand over and your kids at kind three. kind of yeah. in your government that you have this uprising of people and all kinds of crazy things are happening in the world today. Oh, this, I know. It's insane. This is something that hasn't happened ever, right? What we're seeing witness right now in 2019, there's no way, no reason, no excuse 
for this to be happening right now today with all the sensors and all the different technology to prevent fires from a precious building like that. No way should this be happening. That's what I'm saying. Exactly. Something, something is up because, you know, like you said, the French will revolt. They are. There's a huge revolution sweeping across the European Union right now in all member states to get out, you know, the laws. Yeah. Gas tax. They're more concerned about, you know, age of consent down to 11, that if you birth a child by the age of three, it better be in a system that the government monitors or else they'll take the child away from you. The fact that, you know, these, um, migrants are coming in and they're not assimilating but demanding changes instead these are all a big deal and people are revolting now let's pretend this was a terrorist attack all right why can't you put it out you've been upgrading that for the past 10 years you've even in 2013 yeah this be in response to new zealand i don't know but it's regardless even if it is what I'm saying is in 2013 on the roof of the cathedral i thought it was pretty weird they put like a whole colony of bees did you know that this monk cultivates a specific strand of Paris bees and he has it at the rooftop of the cathedral where they like, you know, get sourced the, the honey from them. And so it's like you have all these things, bee farms on the roof. You've upgraded it to have better lights, good, you know, anti-fire systems, alarm systems, trip wires, laser, you know, so people don't go in there and steal stuff. But now you have a fire and you can't put it out for three hours. Are you kidding? I don't care if the the wind is blowing by 50 befores, whatever it is, you can put it out. It's one building. So it seems as if, if it was arson, it was done with a great accelerant that is resistant. What did they use? Greek fire? Regardless, why not put it out? Why aren't you using these planes? Why does the president of another country who's busy right now going to a rally that starts in 10 minutes tweeting out, hey, maybe you want to use the planes and dump some water? That's curious. And that will need better scrutiny. So anyone who likes digging, go digging. Because for me, that just the president's tweet said it all for me. Um, Scott, tell everyone where they can listen to you in the morning and stuff now that we only have like a minute left. All right. ScottAdamsShow.com. And uh, you can check me out there. Basically, you can listen to the Red State player and the Scott Adams Show player uh, for all of my live hours, uh, which is from 8 a.m. to 12 noon weekdays. Uh, you can go to scottadamshow.com, and both players will get you uh, to listen to Red State and the Scott Adams Show all at once. Excellent. And on that note, guys, I'm seeing that Macron has made a statement saying that the renovations are the ones that caused the fire. Still dubious. Don't understand why it's not out. The river is right next door so they can actually use flyers like the president said. So why aren't they doing it? Um, On that note, tomorrow I'll have more for you on this Mueller report. Um, I am getting a lot of information coming in now. And stay tuned on ToriSays.com. I will have the, the two articles about Dana and the Mueller report and and the recent arrest of Michael Gunfield um, on for you to read. Thank you, Scott, for coming to the Tory Sess Show. I love having you. Everybody loves you. Thanks. I love you too. And uh, thank you, everyone, for tuning in. And from all of us here at Red State, God bless. And I'll see you all tomorrow, same time, same place. Red State Talk Radio, Monday through Friday, 12 to 2 Eastern. Have a wonderful evening.